The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A uh, very warm welcome to the first Squawk Box of 2024. You've got Arabina Gamedia, myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. Greater China equities, though, kicking off the new year in the red as official factory activity contracts, even as a private survey shows the sector accelerating at its fastest pace in seven months. At least 30 people are reported dead after a 7.6 magnitude quake rocks western Japan, with many more feared trapped below the rubble and thousands without power. Rising tensions in the Red Sea send the oil price higher. That's after Iran sends a warship to the region, all in response to the sinking of three Houthi boats. And the Netherlands blocks some of ASML's exports to China, aligning itself with the United States, a day after Xi Jinping says he wants to work with Washington on promoting stable relations. Well, one thing I didn't say in the headlines is, is this Happy New Year to you all. I hope you all have a wonderful, healthy uh, and prosperous New Year as well. Um, these markets, of course, took no prisoners in 2023 and quite frankly defied many expectations. Many people, including myself, very concerned about the risks of recession, concerned about the impact of higher rates on markets, on companies, on individuals and on governments as well. But the fact of the matter is, uh, the benign scenario that we saw at the end of 2023, well, has it been fully priced into the markets now? And that is the question. I noticed that the Dow uh, had a flattish day at the tail end, uh, Arabile, of 2023. But by and large, it was a stunning recovery from lows and a really robust performance, not only from the US, but yep. also from the global economy in 2023. And we're all asking the big questions. Can it be maintained in the face of multiple challenges yeah. in 2024? Happy New Year to you. I haven't ha- seen you for the best part of a month. Lovely to that see you. That is true. So well. yeah, actually you obviously had a good Christmas. I did. I did. I had an absolutely great Christmas. I trust you did too. But you're quite right. How much legs are sort of in this market right now, right? We're still on record watch, predominantly for that S&P 500. 4,789 is pretty much that figure that we're looking out for. If it closes at that level, it would have been the highest uh, that it has had since January 2022. So... We did end off uh, last, last year, pretty much the final trading day of last year, in the red. And one can pretty much get a sense then that even though we're headed towards that record, there could be some uh, movement a little bit lower, perhaps some profit-taking even in the short term as we head towards the end, uh, or rather as we go towards the end of this month as well. So that will be interesting to look out for, and we'll see what the market kind of does say. After Stellar 2023, however, Wall Street strategists are seeing a much lower return for stocks. In fact, according to the CNBC Pro Exclusive Market Strategist Survey, the top 14 strategists from major firms Expect the S&P 500 to only rise about 2.3% from that Friday close. So that gives you a clear sense of how much worry there is 
in the legs of this market. On to the Treasury's picture then. The yield then, of course, having topped 5% in October last year, dropping off then to that 39 even below 3.9% as well. All of that, of course, rate increases being quite significant and important uh, to this market picture over, overall. Uh, so, indeed, markets are looking out for that as well as cuts in interest rates. On to the dollar crosses then as well. Uh, having languished near five-month lows against the euro, we're seeing a stronger start then uh, for the U.S. dollar. Uh, starting off, as I said, against the euro, 110.30 is where we are there. Uh, against the yen then that has been very interesting 141 now is where we currently sit then having had the worst of it of course we are watching out for that japanese market overall onto the commodities picture then oil did end 2023 around 10 percent lower its first annual decline in two years uh, right now sitting at 78 dollars 50 cents a barrel of course question marks in and around the middle east being quite significant and important there did jump around 1%, uh, is that more than that, in fact, it's nearly 2% right now then, of course, after the Red Sea naval clash focused attention in that Middle East region. Onto the Asian market picture then here, seeing a bit of a mixed trading day uh, thus far, China stocks dipping at the open, of course, continued weakness in that manufacturing picture, the overall PMI print, 49 versus 49.4 previously, so continued weakness and contraction in that market. Only the Australian index going up around half a percent this early morning. Thank you very much indeed for that. Right, let's get to our top story. At least 30 people have reportedly been killed and dozens more injured after a series of powerful earthquakes rocked Western Japan Monday. The quakes were felt uh, firstly a little after 4 p.m. local time, with one reaching a magnitude of 7.6. Thousands of people were evacuated to higher ground and tsunami warnings were issued, although later downgraded. Many are believed to still be trapped under the rubble of fallen buildings with tens of thousands without power. Let's get a view on this. David Tappin is professor of the British Geological Survey and joins us now. Uh, David, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Look, any loss of life is devastating as well. But... But, but, but I want you to put this in context compared with other geological events, especially, of course, compared with 2011 as well. I, I remember going to air as the events in Japan unfolded in 2011, and it proved to be devastating with circa 20,000 Japanese citizens losing their lives. This time round, thankfully, the death toll looks a lot lower. But just give us a little bit of a comparison on where we're at with this one compared with other events, sir. This is... Obviously, uh, a very uh, high high impact event for the local populations on the west side of Japan. Uh, the earthquake 7.6, in the context of uh, previous events, and you've mentioned 2011, is is quite small. And the associated tsunami, which uh, is was was 1.2 meters locally again is very very small indeed and when we compare that with 2011 where you had a magnitude 9 earthquake and a magnitude 9 earthquake is much much larger than the earthquake that struck western japan yesterday and the tsunami there uh, was uh, 15 meters along the Sendai Plain, but further north it was over 40 meters. And the death toll there was 20,000 people, as you said. Uh, one of the 
aspects of the event yesterday, of course, is locally it's devastating. And uh, the uh, one of the aspects that we're still trying to come to terms with is not the tsunami, but the actual uh, shaking associated with the earthquake, which led to uh, the uh, collapse of many, many buildings locally. Uh, so far, uh, 30 people have been identified as uh, perishing in this. Um, and I guess that once the rescue services get in and, and they start looking through the rubble, there will be more fatalities. So locally devastating. But as I say, on this broader scale, it is quite a small event. Um, David, the, the impact then here is, is, I mean, it's going to be massive. Yes, you're going to be asking, and, and many people will probably be asking just with regards to recovery efforts, etc. after this. Um, did systems work in this case? I mean, was there sufficient warning? Did we get enough people kind of understanding and knowing what was perhaps happening or about to happen at the very least uh, so that there were preventative measures? Yes. One of the positive aspects of uh, tsunamis and earthquakes in Japan is that they are quite common and they are well prepared. And my understanding of the event yesterday, uh, the earthquake struck at about 410. There were pre-shocks. And the warning systems really seem to come into effect. It's the Japanese Meteorological Agency who is responsible. They identified uh, the, the earthquake. Uh, they uh, uh, predicted that the tsunami could be up to five meters in height locally, and they sent out warnings. Uh, what tends to happen here is there will be uh, local services involved in this. Uh, local populations uh, were warned. And I understand that about 50,000 people were evacuated from the, the coastline. So definitely one of the positive aspects is Regarding the tsunami, uh, the uh, potential hazard would identified and the local populations informed and evacuated from the coastline. D David, in a, in a world where we are, and I've just come back from COP28, dominated by concerns about climate change, events like we're seeing here in Japan and also uh, with the uh, uh, volcanic activity in Iceland. The, these things are going to happen and have happened for millennia as well. Th these are just want to confirm something. It's nothing to do with climate change. And, and these things really are going to carry on happening and have been happening for as long as the Earth's been around. Is, is that the case, David, or is it actually related to climate change? No, this, uh, this is what we call an internal Earth process. It's an earthquake. And the earthquake is a result of masses forces uh, within the crust of the earth. So there really is here no association with climate change. It's what we call internal earth. It's geological. Yeah, David, that's pretty much what I expected, but I wanted you to tell me that rather than uh, me as well, but having zero knowledge of geological matters, which is why we've got you on, sir. Thank you very much indeed for your time and a happy new year to you, sir. David Tappin, Professor of the British Geological Survey. Now, South Korea's opposition party leader is in hospital. That's after a knife attack. Lee Jae-myung was stabbed in the neck while touring the site of a proposed airport. 
in the southern city of Busan. He was airlifted to hospital while his attacker was quickly subdued and is in police custody. Lee narrowly lost the 2022 election and is on trial for bribery, a charge he denies. Um, let's take a look at the oil market or prices rallying. Um, but again, very moderate reaction to concerns about geopolitics in the Red Sea. Uh, rallying at the start of the new year as clashes in the Red Sea have investors fearing potential shipping snarls and a boiling over of regional tensions. On Monday, Iran sent a warship into the area in response to the US's military intervention over the weekend, which saw it sink three boats belonging to the Tehran-backed Houthi rebel groups. Well, Maersk has halted all transit routes through the Red Sea for 48 hours after one of its vessels came under attack over the weekend. The Danish shipping giant says it is using the pause to assess the details of the incident and security in the region. Coming up on the show, it may be a new year, but there's no new start for China trade relations as the Dutch government puts fresh restrictions on exports will break down what it means for the country. Plus, we'll look ahead to this year's slew of elections as more than 60 countries head to the polls. And we will break down what's ahead this year for the IPO market. Don't miss our interview with George Chan, the global IPO leader at EY. That's coming up at 9.30 CET. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. So before we step forward into 2024, let's do a quick review then on 2023 and see how the markets performed then across the board. It was a stunning year across uh, the market. Then, of course, the tech counters really being the ones really to look out for. And that's really what pushed a lot of the U.S. market as well. So the S&P 500 then uh, head towards that record high. Of course, we are still on record watch, as we spoke about a little bit earlier. But that's a 24.23% gain then uh, for this market. Let's remember as well that 2022 wasn't necessarily the best year for the market picture so still gains in the in proportion to that Dow Jones going up nearly 14 percent then by the closeout of the year with the Nasdaq uh, sitting higher 43 percent again was those tech names the likes of Nvidia even the likes of Meta and Apple managing to gain quite significantly and that pushed uh, counters a whole lot higher and there are those stocks there Apple gaining 48 percent uh, by the end of the year last year. Microsoft, 56% higher. AMD, a big 127% uh, gained in uh, throughout 2023, with Tesla also managing to gain. Of course, we ha uh, that one's been interesting because it is going through a pricing war, which is asking itself whether it should be cutting prices as well, creating new uh, pricing uh, fights then across the world as well. Alphabet going up 58% there with Amazon. NVIDIA, the big gainer though, 349 points, but that's 238% higher. 
was the big story then across last year. On to the US dollar then, didn't necessarily have a great year last year, did it? It was down 2% then uh, overall then. So some weakness across that it breached then two years of gains for the dollar index, then dipping off last year down 2% by the end of it. Question marks now go into this year just about whether interest rates will go down Inflation, of course, being the key component to that, that 3.1% mark gives signals towards it consistently headed lower. And, of course, the Fed also signals that they might indeed be done and could even be looking to cuts then this year. How many is the big question. Your commodities picture then, the price of oil, uh, very significant uh, as well, dropped off more than 10%. It's first negative year in three years, in fact. And this one uh, has been quite interesting as well. Overall, then, the market is anticipating that that oil price will continue uh, to lose some steam in certain parts. Look at that. It went down then, Brent crude oil, by 8.54%, a more than 9% drop-off then for WTI. Gold in 2023 passed $2,000 uh, an ounce there, sitting now uh, 13% higher than in 2023. Across Asia, then, the Nikkei was the big market to have gained uh, quite significantly. They're 28%, the highest of the Asian markets to have gained. Hong Kong, however, down more than 15%, uh, with the Shanghai Composite losing marginally nearly 4% weaker there. The Australian market uh, managing to gain more than 8%. The European market... Also, the tech story is one that we kind of followed a little bit here alongside the banking story, while Big Pharma was the big ones also, which we played into this space. The FTSE 100 only imagine, uh, managing a marginal gain in comparison to some of the others, of course, where we did see double-digit upticks. That in the SMI managing around 3.8% uh, of gains. Double digits across the rest of, this, of these uh, European markets. The CAC 40, 16.5%. The Zetradax as well, 20% gain there uh, with a big gain then for the FTSE MIB out in Italy. Steve. Super duper, Arabile. Okay, let's move on. The S&P, as Arabile was pointing out, gained over 24% in 2023, posting its fourth positive year in five. Our next guest, though, says the index may be reaching an inflection point. Delighted to welcome back to the show Ron William, market strategist at RW Advisory. Good to see you, sir. Um, so this is the call that everyone will judge you on this year. So uh, in terms of the S&P, is it going up or is it going down, sir? Good morning to you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Stephen. Good to be back uh, focusing on this key market, as, as you just highlighted, the, the market legacy theme song remains Fly Me to the Moon um, and potentially back um, post S&P 500 high altitude rally, uh, plus 17% if you count it from the November uh, low, uh, lows uh, post uh, three months uh, uh, drawdown. Uh, it's the largest uh, rally in 30 years, so certainly exceptional, but um, now pressured near its all-time high at 48.20, near the 5K roundophobia level. So the key message here is that we are at a behavioral inflection point following the dovish Fed pivot that we, has been long awaited. Um, and from a tactical perspective, it's the triple whammy confluence of momentum, sentiment and sector rotation fragility that has remained uh, for most of last year. Uh, the market also from a macro perspective is likely more dependent on, on growth numbers uh, as, as according to my work, we remain late cycle uh, rather than uh, this, these excessive valuations which the market's been banking on year to date. 
Yeah, so Ron, so you, you talked about momentum and sentiment, which mean remain very, very solid as well. But but you you erred on to economics at the end rather than technical strategy. And that's why I'm really interested, because uh, the market has been very much focused on the battle against inflation as well. But now we think it's going to be more focused on the battle uh, to maintain growth in 2024. Uh, are you saying that it's the focus perhaps on the latter, which could have a, a reevaluation of those other two factors, momentum and sentiment? Yes. Uh, and within the approach that, that we follow at RW Advisory, it's macro, fundamental and technical. Essentially, all three are realigning uh, for a mean reversion risk. S&B 500 is a case in point uh, from extreme overbought conditions, uh, amplified by short uh, by record uh, short covering that we saw uh, in around that area. But also keep in mind that dash for trash year, year to date uh, from last year. Uh, where we had a little bit more small cap, uh, lower quality stocks. So this adds further fragility to what was already a narrow uh, rotation, uh, along with uh, economic sensitive stocks that will likely feel the pressure um, as the Fed potentially uh, lowers rates, but also particularly if we continue uh, to uh, be in a late uh, cycle uh, stage where growth could disappoint uh, to the downside. Uh, Ron, good morning to you then. Uh, you, you speak about the 10-year yield in the US as well, a surge perhaps remaining ahead. Let's talk a little bit more about that. I mean, uh, stunningly seeing it now below 3.9%, having hit that 5% mark as well in October. Uh, more legs? Surely not to 5 though, right? Uh, yes, uh, back to 5 and likely higher over the long term as part of a structural uh, higher for longer trend with rolling waves of volatility. And this is probably what has has got the market uh, stumped uh, so far. Uh, we've had big swings uh, along the way, but still the trend remains up. Uh, the latest correction as a historical analog um, basically uh, uh, is akin to the October 2022 decline, which then led uh, to the rise uh, up to 5%, that historical uh, threshold. Um, keep in mind that we're currently at a, a tactical support level um, around the uh, 4% to 385 mark. Um, and from those oversold conditions, we should get some tactical consolidation um, in, in the short term. So it, it expects rates to, to not fall any lower than where we are now inflation to rise uh, perhaps in the second half of this year as part of a long-term uh, secular uh, trend um, and watch those key support levels that highlighted on the chart. So, so Ron, let me get this right then. So you're saying we're, we're bound to pass 5% then on that 10-year yield again this year with a lot more legs to, to move uh, um, even higher. That is despite calls by many for rates to ultimately be dropping off this year quite significantly so with six cuts even anticipated arguably much of that has been priced into the market it, certainly in terms of the uh, the unwind on rates one but also the 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 record rally on on equities uh, so perhaps the market could be uh, market sentiment could be ahead of itself in terms of, of further uh, uh, pricing in of, of future moves and then also we have to keep in mind potential policy mistake, uh, which the market so far uh, believes doesn't exist, and, and, and the soft landing narrative, which remains strong. So 
part of the work um, of, of uh, behavioral uh, tactical analysis is to look for these inflection points and, and where non-consensus moves may happen. And I think this year could be the year for non-consensus. And uh, final one, though, if uh, <laughs> given everything you've just said, Ron, I think people will be looking for a port in the storm. They got it partially in 2023 in gold, um, but something more dramatic to come, according to you. Yes, well, gold uh, has continued to uh, shine uh, with that breakout above the glass ceiling at 2000. Uh, it now uh, projects uh, much higher to 2700, which is an inflation adjusted uh, target from uh, the uh, all time highs of 1980. Uh, it also ultimately expresses broad gold strength as part of the FX debasement story. Uh, but ultimately, what I think is even more useful is to, to keep in mind the safe haven flows. Last year, we had two shock impulses. Remember, bank crisis of March, but also the geopolitical tensions from the Israel, uh, Israel Hamas war, which continues. And certainly geopolitical tensions will likely continue um, into this year and safe haven flows and gold uh, will remain uh, an attractive. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.